The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, staff in shock at the Daily Telegraph as editor Tony Gallagher makes an abrupt exit. Plus, we look at the latest manoeuvres in the Saturday night ratings battle. Are you watching Splash, The Voice, or maybe The Bridge, which we discuss with The Guardian's TV and radio editor, Rebecca Nicholson. And we find out everything you need to know about the BBC's latest digital wheeze, Instafacts. It's like Instagram, but with facts. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me this week are broadcaster and award-winning podcast guru Helen Zaltzman and James Robinson, The Observer's former media editor turned Powers Court PR. Welcome both. Hello. And down the line, or down the Skype, to be strictly accurate, we have City University Professor of Journalism and Guardian and Evening Standard columnist Roy Greenslade. Roy, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Roy. Well, there's only one place to begin this week, and that is, of course, at the Daily Telegraph, where management called time on Tony Gallagher's four-year tenure as editor with immediate effect. Staff were shocked, some of them in tears, reportedly, as Gallagher was banged out in the time-honoured tradition. His exit comes only a few months after the unexpected arrival of Jason Seekin, a former executive at US public service broadcaster PBS. He is now the Telegraph Media Group's chief content officer and editor-in-chief. Roy, I'm guessing those two things aren't entirely unrelated, but, but why did Gallagher go and what's your reaction? Well, my feeling is that ever since the appointment of Jason Seekin back in September last year, that his vision of how the Telegraph should proceed which, by the way, is not yet fully explained, has clashed with the way that Tony Gallagher has seen the development of the newspaper. So, in a sense, I think that we could say that Gallagher has been sacrificed on the altar of the digital revolution. That's not to say that he is digitally blind. He certainly isn't, because he oversaw Mail Online at one stage. But I think that he still believes in the paper first, in newsprint first, and most importantly, on the need to develop investigative and story-getting journalism. And clearly, he feels that a Sikin who comes from a totally different culture and doesn't know anything about British journalism uh, has a vision which clashes with that. And James, people will be surprised at this because I'm sure listeners' perception will be that... uh Tony Gallagher is, was successful in the role, not least with yeah. the uh, the MP's expenses investigation. I mean, print sales are down, but print sales are down everywhere, yeah, generally. Yeah, exactly, and not down, not, I think not as down there as much as they are elsewhere. Tony Gallagher, brilliant newspaper man, brilliant sort of technician. Roy mentioned he, he has got some digital experience, but that's right. I mean, his, his love and passion was for newspapers. I mean, it, it is a surprise. The timing is a surprise. But I think for the moment, Richard Ellis, who took a job as director of content, on a temporary basis, and then following that, Jason Seekin was uh, installed some months ago, four months ago. It, it is a class. It, it undermines the authority of the editor of the Daily Telegraph when they have to, he and the Sunday Sunday equivalent have to report to a uh, editor in chief. So it, there's clearly going to be tension there from the start, and something's you know who knows what the catalyst has been what was yesterday. Uh, presumably, I think Jason Seekin is about to make a speech or will shortly make a speech outlining his vision for the newspaper. So maybe that was what prompted Gallagher to walk. He didn't walk. Uh, he was definitely. Fired. Uh, so I think it was clearly that a, a case where the Telegraph Group's chief executive and executives uh, had made a decision. Uh, they either had to go with Jason Seekin, 
uh, or they had to go with Tony Gallagher and they chose Seekin. So, well, of course um, they do, because he's the editor-in-chief. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think you put it absolutely right. If we think of an analogy here in Premiership football, mm. it's when they have a, a manager and over the manager, they bring in somebody called a director of football. It immediately puts the manager on the back foot. Uh, and I think exactly the same happened here at The Telegraph, where previously Tony Gallagher had reported to the chief executive and suddenly they bring in somebody between them. Well, that is a destabilizing thing for an editor who needs full control of his or her newspaper. I mean, it is a, the football manager analogy is an interesting one because that's how editors now are more like football managers. They come in, they do a job for a few years, they move on. You know, there's, there's, Dacre might be an exception to that. But the, but I think that's the way the is going now. It's, it, you know, the days when a, an editor was embodied the values of his newspaper and you could almost not imagine them going somewhere else. A bit like Alan Rusbridge, I guess, at The Guardian. They, they seem to be going slightly be, and they, that is changing as the newspaper's power and influence wanes in my view yeah but this is quite a grisly exit wasn't it it sounds very abrupt and uh, and quite old-fashioned in a fleet street backstabby way so you do think what what else is going on and roy there seems to be a bit of a pattern here you think of richard wallace tina weaver james harding of, of owners getting rid of editors who who were popular with staff and, and seem to be doing a good job but they're then showing the door you know what does this say about the, the changing nature of the the newspaper industry is it is pressure getting the owners or editors out of touch? Or Well, I mean, I, once upon a time, editors lived or died on their sales and whether they met the requirements of the owner in terms of perhaps the owner's prejudice. Uh, but that's uh, even more complicated nowadays. First of all, sales are falling generally anyway, so you can't point to having a sort of a, amazing record in that department. Secondly, the owner's whims now are less about content than they are about uh, fulfilling um, some kind of vision of the future, some kind of hope for the future, profitability and so on. The oddity here is that only the other day I reported that the uh, Telegraph Group had made record profits. And so it, they can't be said to be lacking in profit here. This is definitely about them feeling that they've fallen behind uh, in digital terms. They have watched others, in their view, take uh, positions which place them in the lead. The Telegraph once saw itself in the vanguard of the digital revolution, and it now feels that it's fallen back. And I think they've therefore decided, okay, Mr. Gallagher has trained up his staff. They can get on with it without him. Meanwhile, we'll take a punt, and because that's what it is, a lot of risk involved here. We'll take a punt on Mr. Seekin, who knows nothing about British journalism, but a great deal about uh, transforming the digital, digital fortunes of a company which he achieved at PBS and to an extent at the Washington Post. Thanks, Roy. Well, separate but related, another former editor of the Daily Telegraph, Will Lewis, has a new job uh, this week. He's uh, been installed as chief executive of Rupert Murdoch's Dow Jones, owner of the Wall Street Journal. He replaced a chap called Lex Fennec, who resigned with immediate effect as part of a, a review of uh, what Dow Jones said uh, was its institutional strategy. Um, Roy, Will Lewis never really went away, but he still feels a bit like a comeback kid in this sense. Is that, is that fair or am I overstating at, it? At the risk of saying something slightly controversial, the astonishing rise of mediocrity in relation to Will Lewis is, is, is amazing. Here was a man who failed as editor of the Daily Telegraph and was therefore parked in some kind of digital cul-de-sac for a few months. He then was made a general manager of News International and within a couple of months found himself translated because of the hacking crisis into running what was called the Management Standards Committee. And then 
he smuggled off out of the way to New York and now finds himself promoted to a major job, a really important job uh, within News Corporation. So uh, there we are. There is, a, uh, there is an alternative view to that, Roy, which is, if I may say so, which is... Oh, there will be, yeah. Yeah, which is that Will Lewis was a very successful editor of the Telegraph because he dragged it kicking and screaming to the digital age when nobody there, any of the staff or the management, wanted to do that reinvented the newspaper for the 21st century, broke the MP's expenses scandal and uh, oversaw the coverage of that uh, at a time when other newspapers were turning that story down because it was too explosive, and then set about saving News Corp in the only way you could, which was to admit to wrongdoing on a massive scale. I mean, that's, I'm just, you know, that's the case for the defence, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, I think that, that's very good. I think it's a terrific balance here in our podcast. <laughs> BBC-like, isn't it? Right. No, I, look, I think, I think that a lot of what you say is fair. I ought to say on the MP's expenses, which was the biggest story the Telegraph has had in the past decade, mm. um, that it was uh, very much balanced between um, the, the input of Tony Gallagher at the time, who was the deputy, yeah. to Bruce, and Will Lewis. And, and fair play to them for that. I think that they set the agenda for some time, and it, it still remains. I think it's going to always be one of those great scoops of British journalism, and, and Will Lewis was involved in that. It's also fair to say uh, that he was in the digital lead at the time, and indeed, since he's gone, it has fallen backwards. And that's the very problem that they face in yeah. terms of uh, the Gallagher seeking um, change. Indeed. So what do you reckon he's going to do to the Dow? Well, uh, don't forget, it's, I think, only a temporary appointment at the moment. But it's hard to read because News Corp seemed to have been upset that Lex Fenwick had not pushed on fast enough with innovation. Um, but, you know, to be honest, in, in terms of, of, of digital media, we're still all groping in the dark. Mm. And um, I think that owners are panicking a lot and they're quick to replace people that they feel can't perform. One of the great pluses of Will Lewis is that he has this ability. I don't know whether to sell himself or, or what it is, but he has this ability to please owners. So, and, and the most difficult to please down the centuries uh, of journalism, the most difficult to please in his lifetime certainly has been Rupert Murdoch. So he's now in a very, very high public profile position and all eyes will be on whether Will Lewis can pull it off. Okay, Roy, I think we have to leave you there. Uh, Roy Greenslade, thank you very much. Thank you. So farewell to Roy, but of course, uh, Helen and James still with me. And we're going to stay with the press a little while longer and the latest newspaper circulation figures. Oh, yes. Hurrah. December's. <laughs> thank you very much. December's ABCs were released this week. And uh, let's start with the Sundays. Uh, well, the big news was that the Mail on Sunday is on the verge of overtaking the Sun on Sunday. <gasps> wow. Let's keep, this, let's keep this audience reaction going through the entire rest of the podcast. If I you feel would. faint. Well, get this. The gap between the two is fewer than 100,000 copies after the Sun on Sunday was the biggest faller across the entire national newspaper sector. Da, da, da. Thank you very much. But it should be said... Uh, before Stig Abel tweets me that these are headline figures and the paid-for gap between the two is rather larger. Of course. Helen, what, what do you make of the saga of the sun on Sunday? It shows uh, what a tough job it is filling the shoes, or at least the sales shoes, of the news of the world. I suppose also maybe it's a tough job filling pages when uh, you maybe don't have uh, such juicy stories anymore. Is that a fair assessment? Because I don't yeah, know really exactly. who's that anxious to buy the sun on Sunday. Uh, you know, what are you going to discover? It just lacks a bit of character. And I don't know whether weekday sun readers would bother buying it. 
It's still an odd thing, James, you know, as I wander into Tesco's, you know, hideously hungover with the two kids, uh, that uh, you still don't expect to see the sun on a Sunday. It yeah, just doesn't click. It'll take anyway. another 10 years to yeah. get used to not seeing the news of the world. And it, of course, it's, it's inevitable. How long was it? was 168 years, I think, the news of the world was around for? And then its current incarnation, or its last incarnation, many decades, as, a, as a, frankly a, a scandal sheet. You knew what to expect. Felt guilty buying it and then lapped it up over your cornflakes. And, and of course, they've got fewer staff. I mean... As I understand it, I know they've staffed up a bit at the Sun and Sunday, but it's a it's a tough gig to create an identity for a for a paper. You are literally the seventh day edition of the of the Sun, and of course the Man on Sunday in many in some ways is probably once the news of the world had gone was the sort of bother booted hard nosed Sunday paper that in many ways the news of the world used to be. So. I guess in some ways it took off from where the news of the world left off. Yeah, and among the uh, with the dailies, turn our attention there now. It's the Daily Mirror making front page news. See what I've done there, where its sales uh, fell below one million uh, a month after its weekly title. Oh, that's not sun. many readers, is it? Less than a million. Less than a million. million. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's a crisis. That is really. If you, I mean, you're slipping towards two hundred fifty thousand or. What he's, suggesting, he's just he's just still not too bad. Too, well, James, what do you think? It's still so so it's it's a watermark. It's a water, yeah. watermark and a watershed. Well, well, the and, interesting thing about this is, sorry to interrupt, is that the circulation of the, the mirror is falling and the share price has trebled in the last year. I think, which which is it was remarkable. Really, you couldn't have imagined that happening a decade ago. Is the, it becoming a more refined product? So why why is that, rate. James? How come well, the share price is going up and sales going down? Because of, they have uh, committed to some big investments in digital and the city. Uh, like the whole world knows that the growth is in digital and the decline is in print. So once you make some serious moves and put some serious money and management time into creating a digital project, or product, sorry, then the, the city uh, starts to feel that you might have turned a corner. You know, I remember, the, I think I remember the mirror going down below 2 million and people howling and wailing about that. As we've already touched on, and we've discussed many times on this show, that the key is making money from digital and the print product really has to take second place behind that increasingly. Well, also, if uh, the Mirror remain unpaywalled, then they're going to scoop up mm. people that want tabloid stories and don't really want to have to subscribe to The Sun, for instance, to get them. Absolutely. So there is a big opportunity for them there. Mm. Um, a tabloid newspaper online that you don't have to pay for. And um, we should say, to Trinity Mirror, of course, is a, is a much bigger company than just uh, the Daily Mirror, of course, as well. Uh, well, elsewhere among the dailies in uh, last in this week's ABCs, uh, and I should remind you at this point that this is, in fact, media talk from The Guardian, the Guardian was the best performer, up 1.7% month on month. Uh, the only paper to record a rise and the fourth month running that it's uh, increased circulation. Congratulations, Helen, John you. Blunkett. Yeah. I'm assuming know, it's all down to you. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Good news. The Guardian has had what, three years now of or more of incredible revelations, phone hacking, uh, WikiLeaks, the Edward NSA. Snowden, yeah. Edward Snowden, I mean, whatever you think of all those stories, I know some people feel they're slightly, you know, almost bordering on trivial, which I mean, I don't obviously agree with that. I worked on the phone hacking story myself, but they had global impact and the reputation of the paper has never been higher editorially, which is a testament to all those at the paper. You can only assume that is the reason that the Guardian is actually doing what others can't and growing its print readership slightly. Although, of course, the, the trend historically over many years is, is downwards, as it, as it is with all papers. I don't know if we're going to touch on the auto trader sale, raising another several hundred million for its editorial coffers, but it, it does feel like it's in much better shape, doesn't it, than a year ago. You mentioned the uh, the auto trader deal there, yeah. and this, uh, this was announced this week. It's the parent company of the Guardian, which is uh, Guardian Media Group, GMG, uh, and they've sold their remaining stake in the Trader Media Group to Apex Partners, and it's expected to raise between £600 million and £700 million. 
which will keep the Guardian uh, Observer and uh, website going. Uh, it's expected for you know around thirty years or more. Well, so. it depends how, how. Yes, indeed, fantastic news. It depends how big your pay rise is, of course. And just just, just um, checking my retirement date. Here. Yeah, exactly. I think so. You, we'll see you out then. I guess you could argue that why do you sell something? You're desperate for the cash, or you think it's not going to be worth as much in two years' time. I mean, I think that you have to wonder whether Auto Trader would be worth 600 million in five years down the line with, with increased competition online and so on. But so it's a good time to sell, a good price. Equally, we all know the Guardian has to get its print losses under control. It seems to be beginning to do that, or else, you know, there is no future. You have to make money online and try and lose as little as possible in print. And that's the, but that's the dilemma of the whole industry has been wrestling for nearly 10 years now. Work harder. <laughs> lose Pod- less money. Podcast of the future, I think. Oh, I hope. Yeah, I really <laughs> hope they are. Actually. Yeah, they don't they involve are. much work, and they're um... what? <laughs> Maybe not on your part, Robinson. I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, come back after the break for James Robinson's last ever media talk. <laughs> Bin the crystal ball, tear up the tarot cards. If you want to know what the future really looks like, there's only one thing for it: the Guardian Changing Media Summit. Mixed with hundreds of top media professionals tap into the latest trends and thinking and hear from top companies including Airbnb, LinkedIn, BuzzFeed and B-Sky-B. Focus on the future at the Guardian Changing Media Summit on the 18th and 19th of March in London. To find out more, go to theguardian.com slash changingmediasummit. Helen and James are still with me. It's time to go through the other media stories this week. And uh, the BBC is doing something with Instagram. Uh, first there was CFAX, then there was BBC Online, then a load of other stuff. But now there's something called Instafax, uh, which it says here is the BBC's latest news delivery service. It's like a paperboy, but digital. Apparently it's designed for Instagram users and shareable on other social media. Uh, Helen, it's got to be more interesting than how I've pitched it. <laughs> what is it? Will well, it work? I can't, I is can't, it a bit like Vine? I, I can't guarantee it. It is a bit like Vine, John. Yes. It's, uh, it's, well, their plan is to pilot a scheme whereby three times a day they produce a 15-second video that is your news roundup that you can forward around. I hate it already. Sorry. <laughs> I hate it a little bit, partly because the name sounds both very old-fashioned because it's Instafax as a nod to CFAX, but also if it's not affiliated with Instagram, then Facebook will probably sue them over it because Facebook are very litigious about things containing the words face and book and now they own Instagram as well. So don't like try, don't even like try and use Insta and Gram for yes. anything. And but- Xerox as well because, I mean, the fax machine references must infringe all sorts of patents yeah. yeah but also I, I used to work in the newsroom with the fax machine i'm that old yeah me too yeah me too. we've we've all been there john thanks actually it's not that long ago is it no <laughs> so don't complain about that i thought the anyway. guardian still run on uh, faxes and dot matrix printers but i think the problem with this is that the fact that it's a news roundup if they were producing a 15 second video very soon after a story went up on their website then that would be when it's going to be forwarded around. But why would you forward around a three-hour-old news roundup that also in 15 seconds is not going to contain that much detail? So I think they need a short video per interesting item that is currently trending. Yeah, James, a 15-second news roundup makes that news bulletin on BBC Three sound like news map. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Your 60-second well, nothing shot. I'm, I'm, I, this is where I feel like I should be I should really into retirement, really. <laughs> I mean, what, what are they going to say? I mean, what, what, what would it be today? Pretty eminent so judges claim... Like James Robinson, that's what uh, they've yeah. got time for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, eminent judges say evidence of torture in Syria. That's what, how many seconds is that? Three. I suppose you can... I mean, it's a bit, I, don't, I don't get it, really. But, I mean, it's just dipping your toe in the digital waters, isn't it? So it, sometimes surprising things work and things you, yeah. 
think will work, flop. So you can't really nut them for trying everything they can. I think personally, a, a short video seems to me more hassle to watch than it is just reading a piece that would have taken 15 seconds to read out loud. Yeah, it does require a lot more engagement, but I guess that's part of the idea, isn't it? You know, that's the great thing about video on the, online. You sort of, you can have an advert, presumably not in this case, at the end or the beginning. And you just, yes. it just, it just, it drags you in a bit. And it, the commercially, there may be some upside to that, that there isn't in print. People What's, love to forward around videos, John. They love it. Viral videos. Just, just ask your two-year-old child. Well, talking of which, not the two-year-old child, but the, the video bit. It, what's Vine? Is it doing well? Is it taking off? I mean, I, I struggle to get into it. Well, the thing is with both Instagram video and Vine, I don't really see the point of the short videos. It took me a long time to see the point of Twitter, but that gained a serious use uh, with Arab Spring and so forth. I don't think the short videos have really had that moment yet, because if you can say it within 10 seconds, how important is it going to be? Six seconds, really? isn't it? They've, they've lengthened. Are they? Yes. Oh, I'm behind the times. I was about to complain that six seconds wasn't long enough. But then, <laughs> well, 10 <laughs> seconds though, ample. So <laughs> fill in so, your own jokes here. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, yeah. So you yeah. could do a yeah. joke Mrs. with it. it could, so you could do a joke with it, but could you do serious reportage? Well, this is the whole thing with packaging up content in numerous different ways, online, video, you know, in print and all the rest of it. There's so much focus on that, the actual news generation. I mean, where, where is the news generation? Where's the, yeah. you know, there's people content. stuck in offices like they're in a call centre packaging the same news in different formats. And there's a, there's an, a, a dearth of actual content. You know, this is the, the whole problem. I mean, our old colleague Nick Davis has touched on it in his book about the press, you know, journalism. It, it makes you wonder... Just where the, the next you know generation of journalists are going to come from? They're all sat around talking about Facebook. I mean, sorry, that sounds ridiculously hackneyed. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. It's fine. Oh dear, I'm feel, it's well, cynical old hack. Next time you're on, we'll do it on location, James. We'll go out on the streets. Yeah, yeah, we should. Let's do some vox okay. pops. All right, vox pops of the future. Pops. The art of the vox pop is dying art. Getting someone, to, anyone, and making them say something about something they've got no opinion on. I mean, if we can't do that, then we might as well pack up and go home, John. <laughs> All right, well, there's only one thing this podcast has been lacking, I'm sure you'll agree, and that is showbiz glamour. So uh, let's talk Saturday Night TV. Uh, the Voice is back uh, with the revamped judging panel, or mentors, whatever they're called, ridiculous. And ITV <laughs> splashes back as well, like the first series, but this time you really haven't heard of them. And The Voice is doing it all over the, uh, the splash, as it were. Really? Uh, <laughs> I love I it. right. With twice as many viewers. Um, and yet... How many? Have and yet, tell us. Go on. Yeah, lower than last series, I believe. Oh, what a crying! I'm not shame. sure that's correct, is it? I think the voice is still. Oh, damn you, John! <laughs> you and your facts. Well, <laughs> come on, let's do it. Second, second episode of the voice was uh, down on the previous week, but okay. up year on year right. at, the risk, okay. at the risk of sounding like an ABC fair figure. Enough, I'd, I'd imagine a lot of people would have tuned in just to see Kylie, but then Indeed. that would have been better if they'd had her in the first series rather than Jesse J and the guy that no one had even heard of. And will I am. So either of you watching either show or shall I move on? Um, I've no. c- caught a glimpse of Splash, didn't like it. I've only ever seen uh, the voice on mute, which <laughs> is, is the opposite way uh, it, it's supposed to be enjoyed. Turned it on its head. Yeah, I really um, have. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's Kylie, it's the Kylie effect. It just shows however much money they spent on getting Kylie was money well spent, really. So we should put her on Splash. Yeah. That would be a more interesting show, wouldn't it? The, the Kylie diving, everyone would watch that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Uh, but the voice where you can, they can see the singers, but they can't hear them. I think Perfect. that would be a much more interesting format. Actually, probably more accurate as well about how they're the guessing music what they sound works. like and, and what they look like. Indeed. Yeah. Right. Next up, 
uh, sticking with showbiz, uh, BBC Two's Newsnight. Uh, actually, that should be sticking with traditional broadcast media, but you know what I mean. There have been more signings at Newsnight as editor Ian Katz, formerly of this parish, puts his team together. They are Channel 4 news reporter Katie Razzle, uh, who joins the BBC Two programme covering lighter stories to social issues, it says here. Presumably that's lighter stories to social issues. Uh, so there's a whole range of, uh, of what she's doing rather than the lighter side of social issues. Very specific. <laughs> also joining Newsnight is Ollie Lambert, who will be filmmaker in residence. Uh, not the chap who used to be on this podcast, of course. That is Ollie. Man. Uh, he'll be filmmaker in residence. He's previously made documentaries I'm sure you have heard of, including the acclaimed Syria Across the Lines, in which he lived on both sides of a sectarian front line in rural Syria uh, in late 2012. James, there's been lots of uh, back and forth between BBC and Channel 4 recently, but what do you yeah. make of these signings and what do you make of Newsnight? I, just, just the same as it always was, isn't it? I mean, I can't, I can't see any discernible difference. But then, um, is that good or bad? Um, bad, actually. I mean, I, th- I think that there are some lighter touches. It's, it's much more, you know, it gets talked about more. You know, it gets talked about more. And it, it also provided me my favourite TV moment of 2013 when they got that memory expert to read the credits out and he didn't get past the third name. <laughs> I think he even got Jerry Paxman's name wrong. There's a Channel 4, I mean, the channel, they both sort of feel like liberal news programmes, don't they? So there's always going to be traffic between them. I just wonder what Katie Russell doing like. Would she be pleased with that? You know, Katie Russell's here to do lighter stories. Um, and social issues. And social yeah, issues. Well, she's a blonde girl, uh, so I what mean, else could she do? Heavily Lord ironic, Russell, clearly. <laughs> that means that they've both now got one daughter of a famous former politician in their uh, Channel 4 and at Newsnight, Katie Russell, and uh, John Smith's daughter, Sarah. So that's one each. I mean, if, Good that, fact. if nothing else, so just yeah, some balance. trivia there for you. I think it's quite interesting that they've uh, employed a, a man to make the short documentaries because, firstly, that could be quite a useful way to fill some of the 50 minutes when there's not much else going on. And secondly, I think actually in isolation, those could get a different audience. If they're put on the BBC website, for instance, then it, and it's a well-made piece about a current affair, then that could get a lot more people watching that would naturally tune in to the show itself. Yeah, I remember Tony Hall a while back saying he thought that Newsnight should run more kind of New Yorker style pieces, you know. So presumably that's well, yeah, why that'll, that'll get them watching. I mean, kids love the New Yorker, don't they? they? Yeah, exactly. Not all about the ratings. If it's news, if Jeremy, as long as Jeremy Paxman's at Newsnight, the show's all right. You know, that's the bottom line. <laughs> He's like that's the, the Raven in the Tower of London. You know, when he leaves, then they've got then that's the opportunity for to regenerate. You know, the show, refresh the show, like Doctor Who. Okay, exactly like that. Time now, finally, for the Media Monkey Quiz. You'll be glad to know. A cheer goes up around the nation. Well, it would do if you were watching this on some sort of linear service, but, uh, you know, there'd just be isolated pockets of cheers all over the all over <laughs> southeast London. Right. Uh, question number one. Uh, which two Davids are um, coming out of retirement, it says here, for comic relief? David Beckham and David Jason. Is David Jason retired? He seems to be on TV all the time. Well, maybe not strictly speaking, but certainly he's retired from Only Fools. Yes, because well, Everyone, everyone was retired from Only Fools. Yeah, but they're not all called David. No, so stop picking the question. Fine. Apart. That's an excellent question. Yes. Says, says producer Matt. Uh, strictly speaking, half point each, but because uh, Helen picked apart the question, it's one point to James. Uh, oh. Question number two. Which organisation had the barefaced cheek to criticise Andrew Marr's History of the World programme this week? Well, you said before the programme started it was the naturalist. Well, so I was giving you a, some sort of guide. There's going to be an inquiry know. now. Into, yeah, right. It's going to be a Blue Peter naming the cat style inquiry into this <laughs> quiz now you've said that. Uh, yes, it was an organisation called British Naturism, which said that the costumes in the programme, I presume they're referring to those uh, sort of furry loincloths uh, worn by the uh, chaps who existed a long time ago. My science is shallow here. Uh, was a complete fiction. Yeah, well, t- television cameras make the whole thing an obvious sham. Because yeah. they weren't invented back in cave times. Might I be cynical and say this is a good and successful attempt at securing publicity for naturists? 
Could be. Which we've just fallen for, fall for. hook, line, and sinker. Do they need more? We could get them on right. next week, but they're wasted on a podcast. <laughs> uh, so, and question number three. So, no points there. Uh, complete this new take on an old joke. Uh, Jeremy Paxman walks into a bar, orders a drink, and the barman says, I don't recognise you without a beard. Uh, no, this is a tough one, isn't it? This is, I think Matt's why, why the cross face? <laughs> Nearly. Well, producer Matt's been doing too many cryptic uh, crosswords, I think. Why the long face? Because, stick with me, when asked by the Radio Times this week why he looks so bored on television, he said, look, I can't help my face. It's long and I can do nothing about it. <laughs> well, it was worth a laugh, wasn't it? Typically abrasive style. Excellent so, impression, that, John. Thank you very much. I did my best. And so, James Robinson won. Helen Zaltzman nil. I'll cope. Well, that's all the media news this week. My thanks to James and to Helen. Time to talk TV now, and that means we are off to Rebecca Nicholson's TV lair. That is, of course, Rebecca Nicholson, the TV and radio editor of The Guardian. Rebecca, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm enjoying the new decor in my uh, brand new lair. <laughs> Very nice, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it at length next week, I think. Once I've had time <laughs> to think about it. to have a look around. Yeah. <laughs> And it's changed locations as well. I don't know where we are, but I can see a Jenny's Cafe out the you window. You will never know where we are. That's why I always blindfold you before we start this. <laughs> Is it well in Garden City? It might be. Right. Well, that's it. I'll settle for that. Uh, okay. Time to talk now. Let's. We haven't discussed it uh, so far this year. Uh, the Bridge. Yes. Which is back on BBC Four for well some time now. It's, so we're well overdue. We're halfway through, just over halfway through, six episodes in. Now you've seen m- way more than I have. I've I'm not actually been a be- behind. Are you? Yeah, I'm. I've seen episode three, and I'm trying to binge watch them all this week. But it's quite a hard binge watch, partly because it's so kind of grim. Although I do like this one best because it's also funny. I'm a big fan of Saga's sense of humour or lack of. I'm with you. To some good comic moments. I find it quite entertaining, but after I switched it off, I just feel like I got the I got a funk. Yeah. I was I was I've actually seen I've not been abusing the BBC preview site. I've been uh, uh, utilising it for my journalistic purposes, but I've actually got through to the end. And uh, on Saturday night and on Sunday, I was just uh, this might be because I was woken up by uh, children needing to use the toilet, but I was just kind of miserable all day. I yeah, just, I mean it's the colour, isn't it? It's kind of drained of colour. There's no, there's nothing there. But I do like it. I'm really into it. I've got to watch a few episodes in a row at some point this week, just so that I'm up to speed and nobody will spoil it for me. But brilliant. I think it's as good as, if not better than the first series. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure. You see, what irritated me was uh, now no spoilers, obviously, but occasionally I thought there were some cliffhangers which were set up, which then were kind of sold within a couple of minutes of the next episode, and that, it kind of felt a bit like Flash Gordon, which you won't remember. Yeah. Uh, I saw repeats from the night uh, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, at the end of one episode, he kind of disappeared off the edge of a cliff, and then when the next episode starts, he didn't actually disappear off the edge of a cliff at all. He kind of stopped ten, ten feet right. short, and so I thought there were a few kind of needless kind of cliffhangers that got go. Oh my God! I got to wait for the next episode, and then. Do you think it would be different if it was an episode a week rather than the double bill? Because I guess you see the resolution of the cliffhanger instantly, don't you, if you're watching it in that way? So I wonder if you had to wait a week if it would feel more satisfying. Maybe that's the perils of binge watching. Exactly. But it is fabulous and you've got to love the big cuddly bear that is Martin. Yeah, Love him. Absolutely love him. So I want want him to be my dad a little bit and want to be friends with him and all sorts. I want him involved in my life in some slightly weird way. Yes, me too. 
I'd like him to buy me a drink, but I want everyone to buy me a drink. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I'll just settle for that, which is slightly less odd. And what about the kind of development of Saga's character and, uh, you know, her sort of trying to, um, you know, interact a bit more? Um, do, you think, do you think that works or is it a bit too kind of self-conscious? I quite like it. I think it, I just think she's such a charming character and we haven't really seen anyone else like her. I don't mind. You couldn't really keep her doing the same thing. She, you know, the character has to develop. It's necessary for the drama, so I don't mind it too much. I know some people have problems with that, but I think it's okay. And the idiot cop? Do you want to punch his face in? Or maybe you've not got that far yeah. yet. Yeah, but there's always an idiot cop. There's an idiot cop in all of these shows. Um, you, again, you need the idiot cop. He's like I'm a... starting to talk myself into thinking that it's a bit formulaic now when I'm really, <laughs> really enjoying it. Anyway, that's enough of uh, The Bridge. What's, what's up? Uh, you, last week, Rebecca, I cut you off in your prime. You did. You were going to tell me about some more shows you saw stateside. I was going to tell you about one show that I saw stateside, a new one from um, Mike Judge, who created Beavers and Butthead and King of the Hill. He's done a live action show for HBO called Silicon Valley, which is a half hour comedy about the world of San Francisco and startups and all of that internet stuff. And it's so great. It's very, very funny. It's very sharp. It feels very kind of current. And it's also really silly. It's a really, really, really good show. I don't know if it's going to be bought here. I would imagine that it will be and hope that it is. But there's lots of room for taking the piss out of internet philanthropists and there's some Google-esque stuff in there and, you know, the amount of money that's being thrown around and these apps that are being developed for very little purpose. It's very good. It's yeah. very sharp. Feels and there's like, no animation. Feels like something that's ripe to be yeah, kind of satirised. It, uh, it is one of those shows that you think, I'm surprised this hasn't been done before, but it makes perfect sense to do it now. I have a vague memory that Armando Iannucci once talked about uh, kind of doing a show uh, around that. Maybe not Silicon Valley, but about, you know, kind of digital media and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think he would do a slightly different job because this does have an element. I find Mike Judge's stuff just ever so slightly laddy sometimes, and it does have that element to it. But I think that world is quite masculine. There aren't really that many women involved in it, so maybe it's a necessity, but I do like it a lot. Well, if it's half as good as BBC, BBC Two's Attachments, <laughs> a drama you might remember, then we're in for a treat. <laughs> Way ahead of its time, about how many years do you Web think? Web 1.0. Oh. 1.8 billion years ahead of its time. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, what's it called? But I should, uh, digit- it's called Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Coming to some sort of screen, just maybe not At a linear one. At some point, one. we don't know when. Near you soon. Yeah. There you go. And, uh, and last up there, but maybe something, uh, let's go back to the old uh, straightforward uh, traditional traditional mainstream TV channels. Okay, well this is, um, this is another preview, but it is for a traditional mainstream TV channel. It's Channel 4's Babylon, which is... A not high, Babylon 5. Not Babylon 5. Not Babylon and on. <laughs> Squeeze single from... 1986. Have you got any more? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the extremely high pedigree of uh, Sam Bain. Jesse Armstrong have written it and Danny Boyle has directed it. In wow, Danny the talent. Boyle-esque. The talent. And it's a satire about the Metropolitan Police. And there's a new American PR who's been brought in um, based on a TED talk that she did to revolutionise communications. There's a documentary team following the force and then there's a big event that happens and it all kind of goes to pot. It's very satirical, it's very funny. Some of the humour is... It really straddles that line between comedy and drama and it's similar in tone, I thought, to Four Lions, which obviously Sam and Jesse also wrote. That's the Chris Morris film. That's the yep. Chris Morris film about suicide bombers. But in, I went to a screening of it last night and thought it was brilliant. It's a feature-length pilot, which is on in February, and then they're going to film a full series, which will air at some point later this year. It was brilliant. It was very funny. It was very sharp. But interestingly, at the Q&A afterwards, they were all very keen to stress that it wasn't satire and it wasn't necessarily critical of the police. 
Now, I think it's quite critical of the police. Um, they're human and they're flawed, but they're certainly inept. And I just thought that was really interesting that there's still some kind of careful treading going on around it. But it's great. I would hugely recommend it. And how did Danny Wall get involved? Because he's done little TV on, or no TV before this. I Is that right? I don't know if he's done. I don't think he's done much, has he? He came up with the idea with one of the producers and then very quickly brought Sam and Jesse on board and, and worked as a four piece to kind of bring it to the screen. But it's shot in a very Danny Boyle. You, you would know if you watched two minutes of it that it was directed by Danny Boyle. But it looks great. And it's I just think, you know, it continues to make me really excited for Team TV in the battle between TV and film because it just looks brilliant and you sort of suspect it maybe wouldn't get made as a film but stick it on Channel 4 for 70 minutes and great Rebecca Nicholson Team TV always okay on that note Rebecca Nicholson thank you very much thank you my thanks of course to all this week's guests who were James Robinson Helen Zaltzman Roy Greenslade and of course Rebecca Nicholson Media Talk is produced by Mr Matt Hill you can leave your thoughts on our blog of course or you can tweet me at the reliably popular at John Plunkett 149 thanks for listening for more great downloads go to theguardian.com slash audio support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.